you're listening to In the Corner Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. My guest today is writer Fan Wu. She's written two novels in English, February Flowers and Beautiful as Yesterday. This past year, Fan Wu finished up three more books that will hopefully be released soon. In addition to hearing a little bit about her journey to the U.S., we talk about how different audiences react to Fan Wu's books, what core Chinese elements an immigrant might transfer to their American-born children, the influence of 20th century writer Lucien on Fan's work, and some other topics as well. First, I want to ask you, is there a difference between the reaction that you get to your books from Chinese Americans and mainland Chinese and people who aren't Chinese at all there has to be some different reactions, I would assume, to your books, or people read different things into them, and I assume they communicate this to you. What is your perception of that? I kind of wish I knew, <laughs> because, um, you know, a lot of times you you write a book, right? You don't necessarily think about uh, your readers. You know, for me, I'm the kind of writer I kind of avoid. I kind of avoid thinking about how my uh, readers will react, right? Because I kind of feel that's a burden. You know, it's a burden, and you, I don't want it to write thinking about my readers all the time. Right. Um, but on the other hand, I do understand. You know, different groups, you know, from different backgrounds and the different experience, and they react to your writing differently. So um, I do feel like people, for uh, non-Chinese people, a lot of times they ask me a lot about the history. Mm. You know, the historic historical background in my books, right? Because then they don't know enough; they wanted to know more. Right, but one for Chinese, Chinese, well, I mean like mainland people from mainland China, right? They want to ask me about always specific characters, why oh. this character would react certain way in that particular circumstance. Sometimes they would even get into a bit of argument with me because I don't. They would say, "Oh, I, you know, that's how I would feel about this thing," and then that kind of thing. I think for they definitely try to relate more with the characters because they felt they felt I'm writing. In a way, yeah, I'm writing them. I'm writing about them. So you're saying maybe a lot of mainland Chinese, they take issue with your characters. They think that they're not acting correctly or not acting the way that they would? They take things very personally. But I mean, I, I felt they do have a great understanding of my writing. So when I have discussion with uh, my, uh, my readers in China, I really felt, you know, I talk to them without needing to explain a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of time it's about the characters. It's about their reactions. What about Chinese Americans? I assume you mean American born Chinese. Right? That well, yeah, I guess that we have to we should explain there's two different kinds. There's the Chinese immigrants that are uh, the FOBs, the fresh off the boats, and then there's the ones who were born here, uh, the ABCs, right. American born Chinese. So is there a difference even in those two groups of reactions to your writings? A lot of them actually they have the Chinese background. You know, they understand a lot of cultural things. They understand certain heritage, right? But they grew up in the United States. So they are basically, they are Americans. So they have a lot of questions. But then uh, I would say they are kind of in between, in between the Chinese 
you know, the Chinese Chinese, the mainland Chinese people. Mm-hmm. So I always get very interesting questions from them. But I do find a lot of genuine interest from them, trying to understand more about the stories I write and about the people I portray in my writing. I've done a lot of events in different countries. I kind of felt there's certainly universal values about family, about love, and uh, about certain things people really can communicate you know, with each other. And for that, because I'm very grateful because I receive a lot of emails from uh, people uh, from, you know, who are not Chinese. And um, they actually write me long emails about the feelings. So I think that was really nice to read. I had interviewed a Jewish woman some years ago, and she had wrote a book that kind of laid bare at least one Jewish community in an American city, um, a scandal and just how things worked. And she told me her husband, was, who's also Jewish, was kind of upset with her. He felt like she was kind of betraying their people by telling so much. They wanted the outsiders to have a certain perception of them. Uh, they didn't want to tell their dirty laundry. Have you ever been accused of maybe laying bare things that, well, any human being, but you know, Chinese Americans or, or the characters in your book are, are struggling through? Like, we're not supposed to show that part to the Lao Wai, to the, you know, the, the foreigner, the outsider. Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly. I mean, I was accused by uh, some Chinese readers. It's like, you know, why do you want to expose, you know, such things to uh, to foreigners? You know, there's so many fantastic things about Chinese culture and about Chinese society. Why don't you write about those, right? I think it's a, it's a almost impossible to win in such a in such a discussion. So. I think they kind of forget what the literature is really about, what the writing is really about, right? I mean, I'm not doing political propaganda. Uh-huh. You know, I'm writing stories about about the people I genuinely care. So, when I was living in China, you know, of course, they say that you don't know where you're from until you leave, right? Maybe because of the constant questions that I got from uh, my students or you know friends I started to make there about. You know what did it mean to be an American? M- maybe America is a little bit unique because we're not really one race. We're not. We're fairly a new country. Uh, it was you know founded on ideals. As someone who was born in the mainland and you came here to the United States, did you assemble like core things in your being that you thought, okay, this is what it means to be Chinese, and this is what I'm going to give to my children who are born in America, who you know, obviously haven't spent a whole lot of time on the mainland. Is there anything that comes to mind? I mean, it's a, it's a very big, big topic, you know. It's kind of like a, a PhD a candidate would write in a, in a dissertation. But, I mean, I, this is a question, actually, I, I think a lot about. I think, in a way, you are asking, what is Chineseness? This question can be um, very politically charged, as, sure. as we both know. Right, and for me, so you can also understand, you know, Chineseness from many different angles. You know, the language, the culture, political identity, cultural identity. You know, the heritage and cultural values. You know, just many different perspectives, right? And people from different backgrounds and different family. They also tend to also probably have different views. Mm-hmm. But to me, I mean, I, I wanted to avoid all the political discussion uh, because it's it's just very vast. 
you know, topic here. Okay. Um, I think I want to focus on the cultural values. I think cultural values, the core cultural values, these are what the Chinese immigrants bring with them when they uh, come to the United States. You know, for me, the cultural values, uh, it can mean, you know, customs and traditions. For example, you know, you celebrate Chinese New Year. By the way, Chinese New Year's will be actually uh, in, it's around the corner. I think it's a, it's a 12th yes. for this year, February 12th. So it's coming. So you celebrate Chinese New Year's and, uh, you know, you have the red envelopes and you do certain kind of a, a typical way, uh, typical things to celebrate the New Year, right? And also it can also mean um, some shared knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, shared knowledge and also shared history. You know, you both, you, you speak the language and you know the common way uh, of life in China. So of course, you know, um, People even coming from different uh, areas, they can identify with different things, like Northerners and Southerners. When I was a college student, I went to Guangzhou for my study. So I grew up in the inland province. I later went to Guangdong for, for my college. And when I was there, and the people called me, uh, local people called me Balo, means like Northerners. Uh-huh. So that was that was definitely not a very kind of way to to uh, address other people, right? But I'm using the example just mean even within China, right? And you see people Shanghainese, Beijingese, Cantonese, and they all have also kind of their own subcultures and sub you know traditions, right? So, but overall, I kind of feel the cultural values are the core things. I uh, a lot of Chinese people really appreciate, right? But for my children, because you asked what I wanted my children to to uh, to know, my I have two young kids, and they grow up. You know, they 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 um, they, born, they were born here, and I I've taken them to China many times, but still, you know, they uh, they socialize mostly with American values here. Uh, they understand the Chinese, but when I ask them. When I speak Chinese to them, they reply back in English. So for me, there are certain things I will do, uh, certain things I won't do. I want to really force them to really learn how to write Chinese, to be very fluent in the written language, because I know how much work is involved, right? But on the other hand, I do want them to be able to communicate mm-hmm. with grandparents. I mean, my parents still live in China. I want them to be able to communicate. I want them to understand Chinese history and the Chinese culture. I mean, at least the basic ways. I think certain things they will understand better when they are older. But for now, you know, they're very young and uh, I try my best to expose them, you know, the, the, the Chinese things I value, right? And I wanted them to really appreciate the family value too. Mm-hmm. I think in the US, one thing, you know, you just mentioned it, it's a multicultural society. You know, we used to talk about you know, American is being, being kind of like a melting pot. But I think now we talk about salad bowl, yeah. right? Basically <laughs> tossed salad, you know, it's basically different culture, different cultures and different groups, you know, we can integrate, but on the other hand, we still kind of remain our own unique identities. So, you know, this year, the past couple of years, just so many debates, so many discussion, discussions about, about this. 阳光下的我们
，你别太在乎。可又是谁多？ You're a writer, of course. To go back to the same question again, I remember in China, people would ask me. Like what was the American equivalent of the four great novels? You know, in China you have like Journey to the West, Dream of Red Mansions, and so on and so forth. Of course, I would, you know, I try to think of like, well, maybe Huckleberry Finn or, or the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. In your mind, like, what are some、uh, key stories or myths or, or、uh, legends even that you've taught your children? I'm just curious. Actually, a lot.、Uh-huh. <laughs> Ancient, the old stories, right, and about. About how、uh, a legend chases some and eventually dies,、mm-hmm. you know, and about all these uh, legendary uh, stories. I like to teach kids, not just because they are Chinese、mm-hmm. legends, and it's also because、um, they're just beautiful stories.、Mm-hmm. I like telling kids about that, and I teach them the Chinese poems, the classic poems, Li Bai.、Uh-huh. So my kids actually they can recite a lot of Chinese poems. And I explain the images and the beautiful,、um, beautiful atmospheres、mm-hmm. in, in poetry. So for me, it's not just about the Chinese poetry; it's about poetry overall. Of course, I can actually sneak into some Chinese、uh, traditional values, and、uh, I always, I will be always very willing to do so. And for modern、uh, Chinese literature,、um, yeah, I think they are still a bit young.、Mm-hmm. But one Chinese writer, I truly admire. And it's Lu Xun, and、uh, I mean, someday when my kids are a bit older, I would want them to、um, read some of the essays, you know, essays and those shorter stories、um, by Lu Xun. I think that they're just truly、uh, wonderful pieces in the Chinese literature. As I've read both of your books, the English books, that's one writer, Chinese writer, I kept thinking about was Lu Xun,、uh, because. There's something about his writing where, and, and yours as well, where it you just kind of present a story, but you don't seem to take sides. You present these characters, you know, their flaws and all.、Uh, there's no demonization. The characters are more than they're not just one dimensional. And, and you know, Lucian did this a, a lot. If you want to talk about Lucian a little bit in his influence on your writings that you perceive, and also any other.、Uh, Chinese writers that you think influence you heavily? Yeah, he's certainly a big influence, you know, for me. You know, as you know, he's a he. He was a leading figure in the Chinese modern literature. When I was a student, you know, all the way from elementary school all the way to high school, me and my classmate, we kind of read a lot of his writings. Some people kind of praise, you know, his political.、Uh, You know views and the political involvements, but to me, he's just an exceptional writer. He writes just beautifully. You know, in his writing, he writes mostly just essays and、uh, short stories. His writing just filled with beautiful, you know, outwardly images, and not to mention, you know, very very sharp interpretation of the Chinese cultures and the Chinese society. So to me,、uh, he he has a profound sympathy. For his characters, even you say he doesn't take sides, but you can when you read, yeah, he doesn't take sides, you know, in his writing away, but you can understand through his writing the pain he feels when his characters have the pain, when his characters have all this sorrow. You feel through his writing, you feel it, you、right. feel as reader. So that's the power, you know, of the language. So I deeply uh, admire uh, admire him. 
uh, for a lot of Chinese writers, I kind of felt many Chinese writers actually uh, influenced by Lu Xun. Uh, Yu Hua is a leading writer in China right now. He's written um, many fantastic novels where very sharp and very candid with his opinion mm-hmm. about about the Chinese people and about the Chinese society. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I love Yu Hua's writing. And other writers I like, uh, Sun Chongwen, Xiao Hong, they are more from uh, Lu Xun's generation. Mm-hmm. And the newer writers, um, I also like Su Tong um, and um, Mo Yan. Mo Yan, I do like Mo Yan's writing. I think all these writers, they have uh, something common. Mm-hmm. They write about the Lao Ba Xin, ordinary people, right. even Xiao Ren Wu, like little people. Right. Right? Right, they write about them and how they live their life in a very fast-changing society. A lot of times, they have no power to change. They take things as they come to them. Mm. So this in itself, the tragedy in itself, has a lot of power. So I think that's what I uh, like to write about. Just the people, ordinary people, in a fast-changing society, and the kind of impact, the political impact, cultural impact, social impact, psychological impact on families and individuals. I think that's something, uh, when I began to write, that was my my main drive. And, you know, still for me right now, it's something very important in my writing. In uh, Lu Xun's book, The Story of Aku, you know, mm-hmm. Aku is this character that I remember when I read it, it was just opened my eyes to some, you know, Chinese folks that I knew while I was living on the mainland. And, and it was like, that's, that's that person. There's one of those guys in every town or in every situation. And maybe you tend to dismiss them or you want to avoid them because they tend to be destructive. And in the same way, in your book, uh, February Flowers, Yan, uh, she's yeah. different than Akyu, but she is, again, kind of a, just a perfect embodiment of the kind of people we know that they do things that hurt those around them. They hurt themselves, but there's still some beauty in them. And there's something very attractive about them, almost like a moth to a flame in some ways. That book in particular really reminded me of that ability that both you and Lucien had of just capturing a character and characteristics of people, but also made you empathize, maybe helped you understand why they did the things that they did. Was that your intention? Did you base Jan off of somebody you knew? Not entirely. I think she's an image of a different mixed identities. Uh, to me, it's a, you know, when you go through a lot of big changes that you can do nothing about, you have to be a bit like RQ. You know, you have to be able to kind of make fun of yourself. You have to be able to just like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Because some certain things you just cannot change. Right. So I think that I see in Aku, I see in Miao Yan, in my uh, the character in my book. And also see that in a lot of my friends and the people I know in China. So I think just the people are trying to understand things around them. But a lot of times they just don't have enough knowledge or judgment to be able to make a call, to really change the course around them. Mm-hmm. So 
I mean, I grew up with a lot of Russian uh, literature. So in Russian literature, you see that too. Revolutions, tumultuous times, and we still need to be able to move on, move forward to live the life. I think one reason we tell stories, we tell stories to our children, uh, we tell stories to our societies, is because we're trying to warn people that are young and inexperienced, like, uh, if you do this, this may happen, uh, or this kind of uh, negative consequences will happen. Have you ever had any feedback from your books from people saying like, oh man, I read your book and a light went off in my mind and I realized that I was one of your characters or that it maybe helped them in a way to solve a, a, a problem they were having in life or anything like that? Interesting. I think a lot of people for February Flowers, I did receive a lot of emails from readers I think many of them told me how much they were they were moved by the friendship between Miao Yan and the, the younger girl, Ming. So to them, they, I, they, they felt like when they were reading my book, they almost felt a bit nostalgic mm. about their, their college life and about certain friends they were lost you know, along the way. Right. Uh, I think for that, I... Uh, you know, I understand why they say that, because I think in a way for that book, it is about nostalgia. It's about the, the loss of innocence. So we are like grow, going up. Sometimes it's about the loss of innocence along the way. So to me, uh, I felt some of them say, oh, you know, I felt I wanted to call my old friends. I wanted to say hello to them. And uh, that was kind of nice to hear. Uh, but yeah, friendship. And um, the passion of the youth, I think that those are the things people mention, mention the most in their emails to me. Yeah. In what way has becoming a published writer, how has it changed your life, changed your own story, do you feel? Uh, I kind of wish that my books, I uh, kind of sold a million copies. <laughs> that would really serious. <laughs> make, make, make a big difference in my life. Um, make a big uh, difference to your bank account. Yeah, but yeah, I think my life is just kind of still the usual. Uh, not entirely true. When my first two books were published, you know, I was working full time at a high tech company. So I was working full time during daytime and writing uh, in the evening. So that was hard time. Uh, I was very stressed out at the time, but I was very passionate about my writing. And now I think, you know, I became a mother later. So um, parenthood has taught me a lot. It's uh, very demanding. You know, sleep deprivation is norm and concentration is a luxury. Uh, but it also taught me a lot about, about actually my own parents because I did not really understand certain things about them until I was in my 30s. So now having my own children uh, makes me appreciate my parents more. And also I wanted to say um, this writing, I mean, all the writing I've done um, has taught me what being a writer really means. I think to me, it's a, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of loneliness. And uh, I mean, sometimes anxiety and a lot of patience a lot of persistence, of course, a lot of excitement and a lot of, uh, a lot of enthusiasm. It's a, uh, I know you are artist yourself, you know, you kind of, when you create your own work, you, you feel happy. 
um, I think that's something I, I, I'm very grateful for, for the experience of being, being a writer. One thing I also, uh, I don't know if you know, but I write bilingually. Right. Sometimes I translate. Sometimes I write in Chinese. Sometimes I write in English. Sometimes I translate my own writing. So my first book, February Flowers, actually I wrote the first three chapters in Chinese first, and then I switched to English. I finished the book in English, and I translated back into Chinese for the book to be published in China. So uh, I've done that you know, to uh, some of my other writing too. Um, so that's actually, I think this is probably something most writers don't experience. Sure. But to me, that's my, um, that really defines me. A lot of times I'm very much struggled and I'm kind of torn and sometimes to the point I felt depressed because to have two languages in a way, I mean, it's, it's like having both husband and a lover. <laughs> you, know, you love your husband, but you're also passionate about your lover mm -hmm. and you want to have both. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I would be, things would be much easier to be honest if I just write in Chinese only or writing English only. Because mm -hmm. whenever I write in Chinese, I feel guilty about English. That's my secondary language. I feel I need to spend more time learning the language. But whenever I write in English, I feel extremely guilty about Chinese because I felt my Chinese, it's not as good as it should be. And uh, I worry about losing the language as a writer. Mm -hmm. So I'm constant, constant. Uh, I constantly struggle between the language, but I think that that's something I've made a peace with. For a while, I was, <laughs> I was very much in dilemma. But for now, I know I need to live with both languages. They're both extremely important to me. So like uh, you just mentioned uh, the several new books I was working on. Uh, the good news, I mean, I finished three new books last year. Wow. But three books took me 10 years. You know, the parenthood definitely, you know, delayed a lot of things. Um, but for the three books, uh, two I wrote in Chinese and one I wrote completely in English. And I translated the two Chinese books you know, part of them into English. So my agent can read all of them. It's something I don't want other writers to do, to be honest, because it's torture. <laughs> it's torture, not to mention uh, how demanding it is yeah. to handle uh, two languages and to also to come up with to the time commitment too. It's a, it's a lot of commitment. It's hard to understand unless you have tried to learn another language or in, at least with Mandarin's case, I mean, it's such a unique language that there's, there just aren't words in English that are counterparts to the, the Mandarin and vice versa. And that, that's a dilemma in itself. And you feel like sometimes you sacrifice a lot of the poetry, the beauty of a language when you're trying to translate into another language. Do you think like, how much of the beauty am I going to let go because I need to tell the story? Yeah, interesting you mentioned that because I was just reading uh, Nabokov's uh, memoir, A Speak Memory. And he, he kind of mentions in his writing, he was struggling, you know, with uh, writing English for a long time. It was not because his English was not good enough. It was more because he was very worried. He, 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 he was worried about losing his Russian. So, you know, writing, is, it's like, you know, it's not like a, a you know, a daily conversation. You know, it's, a, it's, it's about when you write, especially when you write fiction, you write from your heart. So to, so you need to have a very 
profound intimacy with your language. To me, language is not just tool; it's a mindset. So when I write in English verses, when I write in English, or when I write in Chinese verses, when I write in English, I feel I think kind of differently. You know, one of the my new books, and I started actually uh, writing. It's a historical novel uh, set in China and France during the First World War. Some of the main characters in the books they are uh, illiterate farmers, mm-hmm. so from China. So for me, I actually started the book in English, but then after several chapters, I switched to Chinese because I just felt I just couldn't really use English to describe their feelings, right. and they use a lot of slangs and they use a lot of. Uh, You know, farmers' languages. I felt like my my English was just not good enough for me to really grasp, you know, the essence in their language and then in their thinking. You say this upcoming novel is about the World War One era. In China, right? In France, you said. In China and France. So, how did you do research, if you don't mind me asking, at least on the Chinese side of it, the Chinese history, and of course, the, without getting too political, the CCP has a certain version of history. Did you have to be careful the way you navigated those versions of the way the story is told? I think I try. I mean, I spent two years doing my research before I started to write. For me, I just try to get as much information as possible, you know, from the Chinese media, Chinese books, and also from whatever I can find elsewhere, United States, Europe, Canada, like online YouTube. And I, I try to gather as much information as possible. And I try not really be influenced by any political views. So to me, it's about the characters. And my job is basically bring their stories to life. For me, I mean, I kind of felt, in a way, uh, I don't need to worry too much about, also not even about the political correctness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about how I wanted to write, portray these characters the best. Of course, you know, when now the book is done and uh, it needs to be published, it's kind of tricky because for this book, I already have some um, interest from China from publishers. So, but in China, you need to pass the censorship. Sure. So for that, it's not something I can control. So I'm like, okay, I've tried my best with the book, and now let's see. And for my agent, my agent is based in Germany, but for her, she probably understands the book, you know, a bit differently right. from uh, from what uh, you know my Chinese publishers do. So you write stories, but you have a story. Yourself and, and a good one, I think. Uh, if you don't mind talking about your family story as much as you want to talk about uh, in China on the mainland, and then eventually how you came to the U.S. Yeah, I think my uh, kind of journey uh, coming from China to United States is directed to to me being a writer. So I I spent my childhood on a state-run farm, and when I was eleven years old, my parents um, went back to the city. You know, during the Cultural Revolution, they were exiled to the farm, to a remote farm, and they spent, I think, twenty about twenty five years on the farm. So I was born and raised on the farm. When I was eleven years old, in the eighties, so we、uh, went back 
you know, my my parents went back to the city. We settled in uh, in Nanchang. It's a inland city. It's medium sized. It's about you know probably at that time probably about two to three million people. And so I did my uh, middle school and high school there. But for college, I wanted to be far away from from my parents. I wanted to claim my independence. So I went to uh, Guangzhou. Guangzhou, um, even at that time, was the richest capital city in China, and also was the most liberal city at the time in China. So I did, uh, you know, four-year um, undergraduate studies over there. And after graduation, uh, I went to Shenzhen. Shenzhen uh, was the first economic zone in China. Even at that time, even for Chinese people, we needed a special uh, permit, also almost like a visa, to go to, to visit Shenzhen. So you understand what kind of special status. Right. That was everyone's dream right? at that time. So I spent a couple years working there. So then I decided I wanted to see the world. I was always very interested in Western literature. So I wanted to study in the US at the time. So I was very lucky I got a scholarship and uh, I came to the United States. So that was a, that kind of journey, my journey, um, I felt in a way is a reflection on what China has gone through in all these years. Right. You know, from a very isolated place to be a very important country on the global stage. It just dawned on me, your life, your parents' life, like nobody's ever really been home. They're just kind of aimless. Not like you're a hobo, but because of circumstances, politics, opportunities, you have to keep moving. You're being pushed to different places. And so I can see now why your writing is the way it is, especially with the other book, uh, Beautiful as Yesterday. Uh, everybody seems to be in a kind of exile. Maybe exile is not the best word, but you know, they're, nobody's home. The home is kind of where they can kind of gather. Nobody. Yeah, I, feel like I, I like writing about the travelers. Yes. You know, different uh, different perspectives, and I also write about people who move, who decided to uh, live somewhere far away from home, because then that forms that forms a very natural contrast. That also. In a while you're trying to learn about your new culture, your new language, you actually look deeper inside of you to try to understand who you are. Mm-hmm. Earlier you mentioned when you were in China, you kind of started to, you know, think more about, you know, what it means to be American, right? right? I think it's just when you move away naturally, you know, you have this question. So for me, my writing, I often write about identity, you know, cultural uh, conflict and, uh, I also write about, like to write about, you know, the the impact, historical impact, social impact on families, individuals. For China, you know, it's just a, it's not something you can say no to. The society is uh, changing very rapidly. Right. You move along with it. I'm thinking about my parents, right? And they've experienced a lot. You know, very they experienced a lot of tumultuous times. You know, they experienced the civil war. And then they had the establishment of New China and also experienced a lot of political campaigns under Mao, right? And then they suffered a lot during the Cultural Revolution. I mean, of course, they also experienced what I experienced, you know, the opening up and reform, right? The the economic boom in China. So for me, I sometimes I really felt it's very difficult. It's very challenging mm-hmm. for my parents and their generations. 
because it's almost like you have no time to reflect who you are before you are pushed forward. And nowadays, you know, whenever I visit China, I, I go back to China as often as I can, at least try, at least once a year, because my family, everyone's back home. So for me, whenever I go back, I like to talk to people. You know, like people, a lot of, you know, a lot of older people, uh, they exercise uh, in park, in, in the park, right, out, outdoor. And I like talking to them. And they always like to share uh, their stories with me. And uh, so nowadays, I mean, some of the some of the things they complain the most about is they, they their children are not with them. You know, in the Chinese traditional uh, society structure is, uh, you know, you, you when you get older, you, you stay with your children. Right. Right, and you help them raise grandchildren, you know that kind of thing. But now uh, people move around a lot, you know, urbanization, and uh, you know, uh, even the village people they are going to the cities to to find a work and back better pay, right, better better salary. So things have changed a lot. So they they a lot of them complain. Uh, these older people complain about that. My parents, they don't tell us because they don't want us to feel sad. Mm-hmm. But I was. You know, this is something I know they are very, very sad about. And that's something I'm very sad about because now I have family here in the United States. It's not easy for me to just say, you know, I'm going to go back to China. I'm going to stay with my parents. That's another thing I I felt so, the material, the writing material is so rich in China. It's a lot of very, very big groups. They are left out, you know, even abandoned. Mm in a way so you know the left behind the children i don't know you now it's like 70 million the left behind children you know their parents go to the city to work and they you know the children they are left behind in the village right i mean this is kind of profound this creates profound psychological impact on on these children right i know you talk about older people of southern china all this technology you know, even like the electrical payment. Like my mom doesn't know how to use WeChat Pay, <laughs> and she still use she still use cash. Sure. So they they don't even accept cash anymore. But all this just happened. All this just have happened within such short time. Right. So I think this is a this a, this impact is a profound. So I always try to. That's why I mean, I kind of as a Chinese writer, living in the States, living in the United States. This is something I'm always, always, you know, aware of. And I always wanted to understand more and I wanted to write about. It reminds me of, uh, we, t- we talked about off recording about Lao Tzu and he has this analogy about it, the wise man or the content man. He, he may hear a dog barking over the mountain. So that means that there's another village over there, but he stays put. He doesn't go exploring this other village and if he stays content he'll be happy and of course your life my life your all your stories your whole family you know none of us have stayed put we're uh, constantly going to other villages and checking out the dog barking so i think that's why probably we talk so much about uh, mindfulness these days yeah. and uh, you know i just i was listening to a TED talk the other day it's about a slowing down you know yes yeah in China, I felt it's just impossible. It brings beauty, but it also brings pain. And that's just everything in life, all the good things, really. I think that just creates beautiful literature. <laughs> yes, that's you know, true. It's about you know, your inner world. It's not just about happiness. It's about everything. It's about all kinds of emotion. That's true. We grow with pain and struggles and all of that. So 
Right, so, right. so maybe Lao Tzu was wrong. <laughs> So if folks want to learn more about you, is there a website or a way that you stay in contact with your readers? Yeah, I do have a website. It's fanwuwrites.com. Uh, yeah, to me, it's you're owning a writer when you write. <laughs> so I said, that's why I said, put uh, that in my, in my URL. Okay, cool. That website, again, is fanwuwrites.com, which is F-A-N-W-U-W-R-I. TES.com. And if you're still interested in Chinese American literature, you might give In the Corner Back by the Woodpile episode 103 a listen, where we talk with author Lisa C. about her book, The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. And then back on 108, I talk with one of my friends back on the mainland also about Lucian, in addition to the Chinese underground hip hop scene, the Jewish community in Shanghai during World War II and some other random topics. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. (laughs)